Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Today's episode, I have the honor of speaking with Selena Starling. Selena is president of Community of Big Hearts. She's an 18-year-old Indigenous woman that's also sharing her story about spending her entire life as a youth in care. In the Winnipeg Foundation's recent strategic plan, we have established the goal of reducing the number of children engaged in Manitoba's child welfare system and support better outcomes for those youth aging out of the system. And part of that process includes hearing from people with lived experience. And Selena has been incredibly gracious, generous, and honest with her time and with her story. We talk about her experiences as a youth in care, her family's generational trauma, and how she's helping to foster reconciliation through her work with Community of Big Hearts. Please enjoy my conversation with Selena Starling. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in office by Selena Starling. She is the president of Community of Big Hearts, and you know, just friend of the show. Selena, welcome to the uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. We at the Winnipeg Foundation are focusing on kids in care and for outcomes of kids aging out of care. Um, that's a part of our strategic plan moving forward. And you have firsthand experience being a child in care. And now you've aged out of care. You're 18 years old, you said? Yep. And so maybe let's just get into your story. I've been asking people on this season of the podcast, the first question, what is your story? So maybe just how do you answer that question now when someone says, so what's your story? What do you, what do you say? I say that I'm a recent graduate of high school and I am now the president of the Community Big Hearts. But my main focus is that I'm a public speaker and I teach about my story through the child welfare system in Winnipeg because it is so important. Not many people are talking about their story and why I started talking about my stories and I started talking when I was 11 years old and doing public speaking all the way back then, although it was only like seven (laughs) years ago. (laughs) But I started... That's half your life almost. Exactly. I started talking about it because I saw how people like me were affected and how my story could move entire thousands of people right how my small story which seemed like it at the time could actually move people Mm. so growing up and seeing how i've been changing and how the world has been hurting people that look like me i wanted Mm. to have a voice and have that voice that really wanted to help helping is what i want to do and Mm -hmm. it's my biggest passion and Growing up and seeing the hurts that I felt and the trauma and the intergenerational trauma, I really wanted people to learn about it and not just hear about it in the news. Right. So hear a success story in ways. Right. Um, even though it doesn't really feel like a success story yet, um, it's kind of a, a one in a million story right now. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. You are successful. Congratulations <laughs> on everything. Thank I mean, you. even before you had this job as president of community, we'll, we'll talk about community big hearts maybe a bit later, but like there's so many different elements of your story that I, w- mm-hmm. I would like to get into if, if you're comfortable, of course, but like intergenerational trauma was one that you just mentioned. And how, um, how is that a part of your story? And I know that you've, you've broken a lot of cycles of, yes. of, of trauma, but maybe just talk about that and talk about um, how your story pertains to intergenerational trauma and the work that you're doing to overcome those, to to break those cycles? Yeah, so right now I'm still continuously learning about what my family has gone through and especially being in care, you're so disconnected from Mm. what has happened. But I know my grandmother, that's kind of where everything really started. She was a part of the 60 Scoop, went went to residential school. She kind of got the whole 
burden of two incredibly horrific things that happened to indigenous peoples so it all started there and after she got out of the care got out of care out of the schools she obviously had to find some way to cope and that was through alcoholism Mm. and that passed on to her many many kids who which one of them was my biological mom and my biological mom she was a part of the millennium scoop she also went into care and she went to alcoholism because her biological mom did as well and she went into addiction which is another thing that has passed on to my part of the family and that alcoholism addiction and then soon after was a sex trade it all kind of trickled down through and just got progressively worse Mm. so the snowball effect really really you see in my family Um, it didn't really hurt me but my older sister she got the burden of it all Mm. she went into the sex trade she went into being an an addict and alcoholic Mm -hmm. seeing how everything has compiled and has hurt one specific person in my family it is so heartbreaking because that could have been me she's only two years older than i am and seeing how completely different we are but at the age of 11 her becoming an alcoholic and 13 entering the sex trade that is not something that should be happening and being in foster care and seeing how no one was willing to help her Mm. even though it is a system that is supposed to help the younger kids it isn't doing so it's only taking but not giving back in any way possible Mm -hmm. i just uh, the intergenerational trauma is continuing to happen i just it's so heartbreaking it is um Absolutely. How does how does that aspect of things inform your work now? Because now you're doing workshops about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, and and reconciliation, and just maybe now's as good a time as any to talk about community of big hearts and and your work there. So give yeah, us the pitch. So what, the, what is that all about? The workshops we do one is about TRC and Call to Action ninety two. So informing the managers, employees, and people in the workplace. Right now, I do workshops about TRC, history, empathy, kind of teaching why you might have biases towards Indigenous peoples and why you might be thinking these things. And it's a huge subject, but taught in a way that's non-judgmental at all, which I personally love because I don't have judgments towards anyone with negative um, ideas about what Indigenous people might be like because uneducation is what is stirring that pot. Right, but, yeah. <laughs> Do you come up against, pe- when you're doing these workshops, I mean, you're 18 years old, do people yeah. are like, who's this, eight? like, how do they, how, how, how does she know what, what, <laughs> what, what the world's like, you know, or what, what is and that like? I don't really tell anyone until the end <laughs> of the workshop. Nice. It's like, you've got to experience how I am and like, see my story throughout the entire workshop. And at the end, it's like, oh yeah, I'm 18. And then it's usually like, oh wow, like my thoughts about this entire generation are, gone mm. put into shambles because immediately when you think about gen z and the younger generation it's like oh these uneducated kids that learn their entire story off the internet and it's like well i am continuously learning from the internet but it's not my entire personality that's fascinating yeah there's that's that's been we were talking before we started recording but i think there's always been even before the pandemic people kind of like and continue to just sort of disregard the ideas of youth just because they oh you don't have enough experience yet and i've always found that to not really sit right with me for some reason um where where does the strength come from to continuously tell your story continuously like almost re-traumatize yourself because you're 
doing it for as a profession now, right? Like you're doing yeah. workshops that probably remind yourself of the difficulties that your family went through. So like, where does that strength come from? My strength, um, it, a, a big part of it is my family mm. and seeing my younger siblings and seeing that they still need that help. Mm. Although I just age out of care, they still need that help and right. they still need that person that's advocating for them. And I want to be that person. And when I'm doing these workshops and I'm talking to people all across Canada and I'm talking to professionals and CEOs and these big shots and mm. I relate to them in some way or another, I pull a heartstring and we connect on that different level and they learn something from me. That is my favorite feeling. It's just, I get to see them cry. I get to see that like hug. It's just, it's so powerful yeah. when I get to move someone I never thought I could ever move and getting them to realize and understand how an entire group of people in Canada are being treated and how we are continuously fighting a genocide. It's just, it's so moving to me when I can change someone. It's pretty, um, once you start unraveling how things are set up and the propaganda that we read and the stories and how things are sort of framed in media and how things are framed on social media and how you know ideas sort of proliferate through older generations who are told a certain thing about indigenous people and and that's just the way they've always been brought up you're really shattering a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of ideas that i'm sure a lot of people still have but like are you seeing progress you're so young already and just the historical sort of uh, you know, moving the needle on something like that takes takes a long time. Are you seeing progress when you, even in, throughout the course of a workshop, do you see progress of people changing their minds? Or, or what, what, what's, what happens throughout the course of a, of a single workshop? Over a single workshop, I do see a lot of people change. And I do see a lot of people's like eyes widen in mm. a way. Um, I, my favorite part is when someone kind of attacks what I'm saying. Yes. And they go about it and they're trying to judge and take it. And they say something mean against indigenous people. And I sit there and I'm like, okay, keep telling me. And just being super open towards what they're saying. It's it's super funny in a way, getting to see their reaction. It's like, why aren't you attacking me? Why aren't you being the person that's like, no, you're wrong because they're not wrong. And mm -hmm. I take that with a grain of salt, what they're saying. But I also give back, give them knowledge because it's it's just... At the end of the day, I want people to open their hearts. They may not have to take every single thing I'm saying to them, but as long as they understand and as long as they take it, what I say and use it in the real world and build mm. some empathy, then I, I did something. It's a very <laughs> mature stance for an 18-year-old. No offense. I'm not trying to be <laughs> offensive, but like, not a lot of people can sit there and just take an insult that you've probably heard a thousand times yeah. and, and just sort of smile through it. But there is something there of, you know, letting people have their say, listening honestly, and then just sort of asking questions. What What is your strategy when you come up against someone who's clearly got a bias against um, who they think that you are? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? I just want them to listen to me. If I give them enough of my time to listen to what they have to say, even though I don't agree I want them to listen to what I have to say. Right. So if if I'm going to listen to you babble about <laughs> how my people are destroying the world or taking your money, <laughs> I want you to right. kind of take that second to understand why you might think that. Yeah. Who are some of your mentors that are helping you on your path right now or even over the past couple of years? Who have you yeah. looked to? 
So previous years have been Scott Angus, Roger mm. Barrington. I know they've, you've heard their names around here in the Winnipeg Foundation. Um, Roger Barrington made Can You Canada, and through Can You Canada, I learned about other people of ethnicities and just got to learn who I was as a person. That's where I really started doing my public speaking. So I owe a lot to Roger, and he brought me my best friend Divya Sharma. That's how I met her, and Scott Angus. He taught me public speaking he's the one that gave me so many events like meeting barack obama when i was in ninth grade i just i don't know who would give a 14 year old that big of an opportunity but i it was just it's mind-blowing how incredible these two people are and how they've really changed my life in the best way and in my opinion that that is what reconciliation is Mm. and right now i want to really focus on reconciling with our younger generations and our younger people because we want to obviously reconciliation is reconciling with what has happened in history but Mm -hmm. right now is reconciling with what is really affecting our younger people and what they're doing in the programs that they've made that are giving opportunities to our younger generations and it's changed my life obviously so it It, it helps as i mentioned at the top of the top of the show the foundation is has made it our part of our strategic plan for the next five years to focus on kids in care and the outcomes, improving the outcomes of kids aging out of care. So as someone with lived experience for 18 years of, of that, those systems, what are some tangible things that you think we can do to both help kids that are still in care and both improve outcomes for kids aging out of care? Yeah. So for, that's a big question. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> is for kids in care, giving them opportunities to expand their network beyond foster care. Mm-hmm. For myself, um, even though I was living in the West End, I I only connected with people in foster care until I moved into like the can you atmosphere. Gotcha. That's when I got to see what other people were like. And I wasn't just um, surrounded by the idea of I was just this basic stereotype. I was more than just the indigenous kid that was in foster care and living the life that she should be. But that's when I finally got to meet people that were diverse and were different and kind of found my sense of belonging. So Can You Canada is something that has greatly helped me and other kids in care, yeah. giving them these types of opportunities. And for myself, I would, I would want them to have mental health help. Yeah. Um, when I went to foster care, there was nothing of the sorts. No one wanted to help me, my mental health. No one wanted to help me cope with the trauma. And I see the direct effects of not wanting to give these kids coping mechanisms that are healthy. Mm. For myself um, and for my sister, it led to addiction. Mm-hmm. It led to falling in the exact same footsteps. If you're not going to give a child a proper way to cope, a, a therapist, anything, they're going to fall into this exact same footsteps. You're just giving them another piece of trauma by taking them out of the household. Yeah, very well said. So you're 18 now. You've just aged out of care. Like what what are the systems like? Does they just kind of cut you off and you're done or help me understand like what yeah. what what how you stay connected to the system, if at all? So right now, I still am connected to the system. Um, Once you age out, you have an option to keep getting support from the system or you can completely get cut off. Um, For myself, I chose to still get supports Mm -hmm. from the system just because if I was going to be in the system, at least I can use them a little longer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no kidding. Um, But that doesn't entail anything um, of like coping and therapy, Mm. nothing in that range. When I aged out, there was no supports as in 
here is how you rent an apartment. Right. And here is how you actually live as an adult. It's like, no, here's a lump sum of, sum of money and you're just going to use it however you want. Good luck. And it's like, why are you giving these kids money without any direction? Mm. And it's like, you can think that you're helping us some way by giving us this money. But if these kids don't have the proper idea on how to use it. Direction. Exactly. They're going to be pushed in every other way possible than you wanted that money to go. Yeah, that's tough. I've been thinking a lot about system reform, not just for kids in care, but just in general. You know, like there's mm-hmm. so many sort of archaic ways of doing that we still do things (laughs) even 100 years after the system was made so i mean what are i know you're not a systems analyst expert (laughs) or anything but like do we have to just scrap the whole system and build something new is there a way to adjust and evolve the current system or or what what are some things that we can do as an average citizen who realizes that this is not a sustainable way of of taking care of some of these kids but what like but but it, there's also it's also 9000 kids that are in care in Manitoba so like we can't just scrap the system and leave them all on their own so there has to be something in place but like what 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 do we do <laughs> on I, for myself i've i've seen people try and mm. i've seen people want to do big changes for the system but as soon as you put an action plan out it's immediately people are like this is what you're putting our money towards this is our pack, taxpayer dollars are going towards this but the change i want to see is when you take a, ch- a child out of their household you give that child support but you also give that household support too there has been so many cases where right. like children are taken away from homes and that parent isn't getting any support it's like you have to go to classes and you have to do all of these things to get your child back but no help on how to do those things, nothing, no supports, no direction. There's, you're just left with no idea on how to have your kid, no idea on how to get your kids back. It's just take and that's it. We're calling it a day. That's obviously going to be super traumatic for both the child and the parent. I wish the parents were given supports. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars to put towards each child that's taken out of care, but why can't that money go towards a better household living, um, therapy for the parents, way to cope with addiction, rehabilitation. There are so many better things that could be happening for these parents. And yet the child is getting traumatized by going house to house and place to place. And they both need proper um, places to learn and to cope and to feel and who they are. Yeah. And yet there's no systems like that happening. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I uh, We had Brandy Blind from Mamaway on the podcast, and she's one of the family group conferencing team leads. Mm-hmm. And family group conference is a thing from uh, New Zealand. They're indigenous people, the Maori. And it's just, a, it, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's you don't remove the child from the situation. You improve the situation, exactly. right? You, you try to improve and, and try to teach and, and keep the family together as as best as possible and that's kind of the traditional way of of doing things but why is it so hard for us to because in new zealand it's mandated it's part of their law that that you that this has to happen so why is it so hard for us to implement a program like that and to keep families together i've seen such difference between a non-indigenous foster care system compared to indigenous i've had friends that were in foster care that were Caucasian 
and they told me when they got taken out of care they were sent to Disneyland because of their trauma and their parents got counseling and were given like money towards programs to heal and to help but when it comes to indigenous peoples why aren't we given the exact same treatment Hmm. it like being in fifth grade and hearing that like my friend was put into foster care they went to disneyland and i was like what like where is my free trips where is what is happening why is it so different is it because how i look just having those different um, situations happen just because of how your skin color is or who you are but i don't know why winnipeg is really segregating indigenous peoples when it comes to the foster care system I have seen so many Indigenous families get torn apart and so many non-Indigenous families get put back together. Mm. I don't know why we can't put that same effort into the Indigenous families. Right now, we look at the statistics on how many Indigenous kids are in care. Out of the entire foster care system, 90% of the kids in there are Indigenous. Mm -hmm. Why? That can't just be... It's not a coincidence. Exactly. (laughs) In Canada, what, 53% of the entire foster care system is Indigenous? How, when you think about that, that isn't fair. That isn't reconciliation. It's just Winnipeg has the highest rates in all of Canada. It's not an easy topic to discuss, but you've chosen to do it almost every day, right? Like, Yeah, it's my life. (laughs) Why? Why are you, why? I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but like, why do you do this? It it definitely is very difficult to talk about it almost every single day of my life, but getting to talk to world leaders and getting to talk to leaders across the country, I'm hoping that by me telling my story and being able to have the platform to talk to these bigger people, that they'll be able to change. They'll be able to make a change in their systems mm-hmm. and their provinces because every province's foster care system relies on the province, not mm-hmm. on the federal government. So I hope that by talking to people all across Canada, their foster systems can change or they can change for the better. You're kind of creating advocates and exactly. you've, you've created one in me <laughs> for sure. I mean, I'll go to bat for you anytime, but yeah, that's a, it's a good strategy because you know, you can, start a YouTube channel or whatever, but until you're going and looking at people in the eye and talking to them and having these difficult conversations, you're not really going to change minds or or open hearts like, like you mentioned. Um, so community of big hearts has these workshops. I understand you have one coming up. Is that right? Um, yes, I'm having one on the second, but it's, I'm bringing a bunch of leaders from across Winnipeg to sit in one room Cool. and I'm giving them a free workshop just so they could experience it and hopefully tell other people just to get that kind of community engagement happening. What are you most looking forward to in the next year of your life? You see, a few years ago, if you asked me that, um, I would probably say finishing high school and this, like at the beginning of this year, I had no idea that I was going to be a president of a company. Mm -hmm. And for the end of this year and for next year, I'm hoping hoping that I'll have um, more workshops across the country and getting to book more people just wanting to learn Mm -hmm. Uh, trc is a hot topic right now Mm -hmm. so i really hope that i can actually book uh, speaking engagements all across canada i've been doing uh, just a few here and there across canada but to have that conversation from a winnipeg perspective Mm -hmm. across canada getting the advocacy out there and hopefully in the next few years it can be 
me talking about um, indigenous peoples in Canada and comparing them to across the world, just because that story, need, that conversation needs to be told. Agreed. So communityofbighearts.com is yes. the website. If anyone wants to hear Selena do her thing, <laughs> uh, go to that website. You can see all about what they're all about, including there's a podcast there as well, Blog Connect, uh, all about communityofbighearts, all one word, dot com. What is your strategy of trying to grow this? Are you trying to grow the company? Are you, I mean, I understand you have a new um, employee of the company. Yeah. But yeah, what, what's, your, what's your general strategy as El Presidente? My strategy right now is to engage the social media aspect. Mm -hmm. I know as a younger person, of course, that's the first thing I get on TikTok. TikTok? (laughs) It's just everybody (laughs) is using LinkedIn these days and Instagram and kind of engaging that demographic. Mm -hmm. That's the next place I want to go to. But also trying to book speaking engagements across Canada by talking in in front of audiences. That's going to be the way that I will expand my network and expand what I'm doing but also still teaching, which is my main priority. Very cool. So communityofbighearts.com. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have been able to take a tour and go somewhere because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. I, whenever I speak to someone around your age, you know, in the 18 to 25 region, I'm always curious about your pandemic experience. So maybe just can you tell me what it was like being in high school during the pandemic, not being able to go and see your friends? Like what, how, what did that do to your generation? For myself, just being completely disconnected from what I wanted to do and who I was, um, going from ninth grade, meeting Obama, doing speaking engagements, I was at my high. And then the next year, it's like, nope, sorry. No more speaking engagements. Everything you've ever wanted to do, cut off right now. You're in dreams, your career. There's going to be nothing, nothing for you because uh, public speaking is not an option anymore. You can't go in front of crowds and you can't speak to people. It shattered me. No kidding. I, I love public speaking. It's my passion, obviously. And being completely cut off and being told, nope, sorry, that's it. And school's out, even though I didn't really like school. I still got to engage with friends, community, everything. And having nothing that I wanted, nothing that I liked being able to access, mm-hmm. it was it was traumatic. It was a different way for the this generation to experience trauma. Right. And for a lot of them, it was the biggest trauma that they've ever for faced. Sure. But for me, being so resilient through so many other things, it was easy to get over, but there was many obstacles along the way. Um, I found myself going to parties more mm. because uh, they were more accessible in the pandemic. I don't know how that I know is. What you mean. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I found myself in that cycle of addiction mm. and um, I kind of lost myself there just because it was just what is there to look forward to this pandemic could last my entire life and there's nothing nothing out there for me anymore but uh um in 12th grade i the pandemic started to slow down and i reunited with my best friend divya sharma and she kind of got me back on track even though she didn't know and she my my role model and she got me back into going to events and doing everything that i once loved Mm. and i started to love it again it's just everything I ever wanted 
was brought to me again by Divya. Beautiful. Yeah, the shared traumatic experiences of all of us, really. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, different people had different light levels of trauma, obviously. Like, some were more insulated than others um, due to resources. But, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty fascinating thing that we're not really going to know the full extent of until many, many years in the future. Yes. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, weird thing to think about for sure. So at the end of our time together, we do a little section called Just Because, where it's seven questions all about the causes you care about and the effect that it has on your lives. You okay to go through those with us? Excellent. So as a young woman, what is the very first cause you even remember caring about? Um, FASD. I wanted to reform the FASD systems in schools all across Winnipeg. Right. Yes, that's. Uh, it seems like an area that hasn't really been focused on too much in the last few years. It has not been. Yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on the whole situation right now? Are we improving? Can, is there more room to, to improve? We definitely have not been improving. Um, it's kind of been on the back burner, definitely. I went to talk to a bunch of people, like ministers, about it, and they had no idea what I was talking about. Oh, wow. I know. I really put them in their spot. I was like 14 years old, and I was talking to them about my, my cause, but just seeing how young people, especially Indigenous, are have FASD or, and are put into a school system where everything is put against them. And I see young people growing up and obviously graduating one day and not having the life skills that they should. And it's just so scary. Even though I don't have FASD, everyone in my family is uh, does have it. Mm. Or every younger person in my family does have FASD. So it's been a cause and it's something that I'm still wanting to advocate for. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, question two, if money and politi- politics and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? Ooh, my current cause right now is MMIW. Obviously, with ev- everything coming towards it, I right now would definitely be getting these women found um, and finding a better system for women to not be targeted. Yeah, how do you feel when you see the coverage and the story unfolding and the pushback and the conversation just what are your general thoughts on this whole mess it's it's so scary um as an indigenous woman i'm already 12 times more likely to go missing or murdered murdered so seeing how the government and seeing how people aren't wanting to make this change for lives people's lives it's just it's heartbreaking it's gross disturbing um I don't know how you want reconciliation and this is what you're doing and basically tearing up generations of women and saying, sorry, we don't care about you. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah. Couldn't have put it better myself. Um, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest stigma about the M M I W? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. I think that MMIW is just missing and murdered. There's an entire spectrum around it. There is so many things that lead up to being missing and murdered that we need to talk about and mm. we need to stop when they start. Right. Um, whether it be abuse, um, emotional, physical, sexual, we need to stop that when it starts. But it's so hard to combat that when there are so many system, systematic and systemic racism. It's just, it's going to lead up to missing and murdered. And there's nothing we can do about it because of all of these things set in place and it's so so heartbreaking i just i every time i think about it i think am i going to be the next one Mm -hmm. yeah it's we could talk about that forever obviously but (laughs) let's let's switch to something a little more positive um 
question four is what is a recent victory in your life, either professionally or personally that you can share with us? Victory um, is hiring my best friend in my company. <laughs> and I, I love that I got to hire Divya Sharma. Just we've grown together. You're a we've, good team. Exactly. We're two peas in a pod and just, the company's going to excel so much more just because she's with me. That's a dub. That's a huge dub. I love it. Uh, question five, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, recently, or I guess, yes. In your whole life. Um, greatness doesn't come fast. You just have to wait for it. And that's something I didn't understand when I was younger until I understood, like when I felt greatness is I was waiting so long for something good to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, why is there nothing happening? And it's like, I'm putting all this effort into so many things. And why is nothing come? Well, I'm still young and all of this greatness has come to me all at once. And I just had to wait. And I'm so glad that I continued to wait and to continue to put my effort and time into things that didn't seem like they were going to go anywhere because they did. Right. Yeah. I think people want the immediate yes. benefit. You know, I, <laughs> I, I worked so hard. Why don't I get the... And I think it's more about the, the journey. You know, exactly. you've, you've had such a long journey and there's so many different destinations that could have happened. And like, mm -hmm. you can't really like think, well, why haven't I... Well, why isn't it... Why haven't I achieved it or whatever the the end goal <laughs> might be but yeah that's a beautiful thing to have learned at such a young age like incredible uh question six what advice <laughs> it's a funny question for an 18 year old but what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could go back in time and talk to her oh that i will be the person i want to be mm -hmm. so don't change anything don't change yourself to fit anyone else's standards that's hard for any young girl to know for sure. That's beautiful. Uh, question seven, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, there's a lot of things I want to be remembered for. Uh, but I think I just want to change the world in a way. <laughs> <Or> just <laughs> yeah. nice and simple, right? You know, it's just I'm on the track already. But if I could change something that'll make impacts for generations, that's what I want to be known for. And I know I'm already on my way there, but I just changing people, changing the world, changing how everything is happening. That's that's what I want. You're starting it. I'm already, I feel changed every time I get to talk <laughs> to you. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, so again, Community of Big Hearts is your organization. Yep. Go to communityofbighearts.com and book her for a workshop, you know? No, who do you serve? Do you serve organizations? Do you serve businesses? I, I like, serve anyone that wants to learn about TRC or MMIW. Just to send me an email, shoot me a text, then we can we can book you a workshop, and I'll love to speak to you and be a part of your journey of reconciliation. Beautifully said, Selena Starling, president of Community of Big Hearts. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, yeah, we will. I'm very grateful, and I, I'm looking forward to doing some more work with you in the future, and you know continuing to tell your story to as many people who can listen. Thank you. Thank you again to Selena Starling for the conversation. Really wonderful to hear her story and how she's turned her experience into a teachable moment, really, that it's furthering the cause and the purpose of reconciliation. So thank you, Selena, for your time, your energy, and all the work that you're doing. And thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast wherever you happen to be listening right now. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, please go ahead and click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll get you every new episode of The Cause and Effect as it's released. 
Thank you to Trenton Burton for producing and composing all the music on Because and Effect as well. If you want to hear more of his music, search Trenton Burton on Spotify. Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about the foundation, visit WPGFDN.org or search at WPGFDN on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all the socials. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, we have to recognize and navigate the darkness before we can see the light. Bye-bye.